Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Chatterbox Video Game Radio. My name's Alon. And my name's Ara. This here is episode 543, and you'll recall that last week... Which, by the way, have you noticed that our shows have been slipping further and further into the week? We're, like, on some kind of, um, like, Martian week or something. Yeah. So like our we week used is to... more like, <laughs> like 7.5 to 8 days now. We used to aim for Tuesdays, and it slowly crept its way out, I think mostly because of me. And uh, then... Oh, no, I'll take and... at least 50% responsibility okay. for that one. Okay, cool. We can share it if you want. Um and then we were talking about making it like a monthly show. Now, have you been watching our Facebook messages and, and page posts and all that? Uh, I haven't, um, mostly because I haven't made my um, requisite monthly login to Facebook this month yet. Well, let me tell you what we found. First of all, a big thank you to all the people who did post and talk about how much they love the show. And it was unanimous. Of anyone who actually took the time and energy to post... Uh, they said they would love to keep it weekly. Um, it was not a flood of people, but it was actually more than I expected. So that was heartwarming. That felt good. We've got several people saying how much they love the show and they think it's better than other shows of its kind. Um, so like, I, I, I'm guessing I speak for Ara here when I say that I'm, I'm very, uh, and myself, very proud to hear that people like the show. And so that's fantastic. Maybe I um, should check out our Facebook page. You should. The private messages and the, the page posts, you should look at them. So people said very nice things, and it felt very good to hear that. So thank you to everyone who listens, and especially the people who took the time to write us. Uh, still, I don't think I'm going to keep up this weekly thing, because that is just crazy um, with what's going on with me right now. So my recommendation is that uh, that we do every other week, which seems to be other people's suggestion as well. Like, why don't you try every two weeks? Um, so if that works for you, Ara... I would be willing to give that a shot, and um, that way I could still try to have my life and get my house in order and my baby and all of that stuff. Yeah, maybe um, we can try that. That seems like a good um, – yeah, because, you know, like monthly is kind of not very frequent, you know? Yeah, Like we'll probably exactly. – like the listeners probably would forget that our show exists um, from one month to another, and – that's not to say that I make any commentary about our listeners' memory. It's just that my memory doesn't last longer than a couple days. So, Yeah, exactly. I think we're in agreement there. So, so let's try it every other week, which makes this show, the last show of June, um, also the last weekly episode of Chatterbox Video Game Radio. That is episode 543. So we've gone on for 10 and a half-ish years, and now we'll switch to, uh, to bi-weekly, which, by the way... My baby is potentially – can, it can come any time. You don't know these things. Like it could come in two weeks, maybe the day we're planning on recording another show, in which case it would probably be another week um, before you hear from us. So the month of July is definitely up in the air. Anything could happen. So I apologize in advance if you don't get another show in two weeks. Um, but the goal, the goal is to do that. And we just – we don't know if that's going to happen. Um, and then after that, once we get into August and stuff, things will be more routine. And uh, I bet the people who are listening to the show who are parents are laughing their asses off now at, at my suggestion that I might have a routine life anytime in the first several years of my child's life. Um, but I thought but they yeah. would be laughing their asses off just um, in, in commiseration, knowing that uh, you will not have any, any more of a semblance of a life after this baby. Yeah, no, I mean, that's, I'm not, I don't know. There's things I'm not excited about. There's a lot of things I'm very excited about and other things that I'm like, ugh. Anyway. Like, um, like bodily so fluids. Take, that's oh, probably that's not what one. you're excited about. So we don't have to take the whole show to talk about this, but just FYI, that's what's going to happen and <laughs> potentially what's not going to happen in the month of July. Um, you don't want to take a whole show to talk about babies and bodily fluids. Right, right. The rest of my life is consumed by discussion of babies and so I don't need to do that on my own show. <clears throat> so we've got, I, I hope, some other things to talk about. Um, yeah. Honestly, though, I haven't, I haven't played enough games this week. Um, I, have which a, is I have a little story, actually, to tell. Story? Yeah, little story. Okay. okay, don't get too excited. Wait a minute. Is it about Gran Turismo? No, and it's not about Gran Turismo for right. once. Although, if you bring it up one more time, I'm going to tell you a, a new story about that, too. So watch out. Okay. 
Did you know that for the first time in this century, last week I bought a mouse? Um, I didn't know that, but good for you. Way to move into the whatever century it is. Yeah, the uh, the 2000s century. That's the one. Yeah, It'd be the 21st. Um, that would that makes sense. Yeah, that's the number we want. So. I never even thought about this until, um, well, the mouse I was using, um, I guess the bearing on it, you know, there's like a scroll wheel. Yeah. And I, I think I used it so much that the bearing on it, on the scroll wheel, just um, just started to fail, like physically, you know, like it was just like, I'm not going to bear any more burden for you, Ara, because you've used this mouse for, you know, 14 years or whatever. You have no idea how many mice have their their track wheel or whatever you call that broken. Yeah, it's and um, you know, and the highfalutin um, wireless technology I was using was starting to really get on my nerves. I mean, it had been on my nerves actually for years because there's like um, there's like a sweet spot for the receiver that is only effective like within a range of like a fraction of a millimeter. And if it's uh, anywhere off from that, then the mouse doesn't track perfectly. Um, so I decided, you know what, I don't remember. Yes, the last time I actually bought a mouse was um, when I was using like a Mac pre-2000 and it was a Kensington mouse. Um, and that was a really exciting time for me because it was one of those four-button mice. Because uh, I kind of have like a hard-on for uh, excessive buttons on my mouse. So... Anyway, the one I had been using, I had gotten free as part of some swag because I was press at the time. Very nice Logitech mouse. Um, and I was always been reticent to buy a new one because every time I look at mice, right, there's like 5,000 different options. And it's, it's kind of the same thing that you had when you were shopping for microphones for us. Remember that? Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of them out there. Yeah, there's like so many choices and you don't know who to trust and you really – you know, don't really feel like you can understand whether, like, you know what you want until you actually try everyone. But, of course, that's not really practical. Um, so, finally, I found out that this, this relatively new mouse came out. It was this Logitech uh, G502. That's the one I got. Um, although, so it has 11 buttons, and it is totally wired, which um, pleases me a great deal. And I almost got – there's another mouse that was called an MMO mouse, but you can you don't have to use it for MMOs. But they call it an MMO mouse because it has an array of 16 keys on the, uh, the side of the mouse. So there, there's like a total of like 20-some plus buttons on it. Yeah. Do you think you're ever going to actually assign most of those? I – well, I decided for my purposes, you know what? Even though I'm going to feel just a little bit remorseful, I think 11 buttons is suitable for my needs instead of 20 plus. So I went with the 11 button one. Um, however, you know, if the 20 plus button mouse had suited um, my other needs that the 11 mouse had, but the 20 plus one didn't, like it didn't have a metallic, metallic, a metal scroll wheel. And um, it just didn't look as nicely built. If it didn't have that, I would have totally gone for the 20-plus buttons. And well, I bet you, know, you... At least you have standards. I bet you I would have found a, a, something to assign each of those buttons one way or another. Yeah, well, I'm glad you went for the simpler one. And I've seen the crazy ones. Like, there's an official World of... Well, I don't know if it's official, but like a World of Warcraft licensed mouse by one of those companies and it's got all sorts of crazy junk on it and that was like five years ago yeah and the amazing thing is that i feel i feel like i my computer feels like a new computer now that's how bad it was okay it's like responsive now it's like things happen quickly that's good there's a lot of dust and dirt in that old mouse i think well congratulations for stepping into the real world I only use laptops now, so mice I pretty much never use. But All right. What else do we have to talk about today that is video game related, possibly not E3 related, 
Actually, let's um I got this Watchdogs thing that I've been actually on my it's I've been having it on my list for a couple weeks now. And I think we have just enough time to talk about this. So have you played Watchdogs? No. You, I haven't. So I live know in this world where anything about it. I know it's Ubisoft, so it's against your morals to play it. Yeah, I mean I'd be willing to take a look, but I live in this world now where I don't have any friends in close proximity who play video games except for like my one friend who plays nothing but Titanfall which is why I've talked so much about playing Titanfall lately. Um, like I'm honestly, my life now is this. We have neighbors that we're good friends with across the street. And I'm sorry, I'm moving into another story. We'll just go into, into uh, Watch Dogs after the break, I guess. But we made friends with neighbors across the street, like adult friends, right, who have kids. Everyone in this neighborhood has kids. And their kids are like eight and six, two boys, and they play the Wii sometimes. So anytime we're over there, I'm like, oh, what game are you guys playing, right? Let me play some Donkey Kong with you um, or whatever it is they're playing. Um, actually, usually I don't play. But I always say, it's like, hey, I'm, I'm going to get some Mario Kart 8. You guys come over and let's play some Mario Kart 8. Like I am actively trying to recruit young children to come over and play with me. And I'm not even joking. <laughs> and like you can see that strange skepticism in their eyes like, if I was 10, they would totally do it. In the kids' but eyes? Since, yeah. Since I'm 35, they're weirded out and look at their mom like, mom, is that okay? And is he trying to hurt me kind of suggestion. Yeah. And um, meanwhile, you, and, you smile with the big teeth and nod your head. Yes. Yeah. And uh, also, meanwhile, I am not playing any damn games with these kids because apparently I'm the creepy old guy. And I have no one to play with. So it's really frustrating. Anyway, now it's time for break. So let's pretend that I didn't talk about that at all. And we'll be right back. Chatterboxers, how much do you love Amazon.com? Since you're like me, the answer is a lot. And since you love Chatterbox almost as much, here's what I want you to do. Next time you get a new game, a pair of socks, downloadable MP3, anything really, go to helpchatterbox.com. It takes you to Amazon, but when you buy something, we get a piece of the action. That's good for us, and Amazon feels good because you didn't buy it from GameStop. Helpchatterbox.com. Remember it. Bookmark it. Tattoo it backwards on your forehead. And yes, all I'm asking you to do is buy stuff you are already going to buy. Just do it at helpchatterbox.com. And we're back. You're listening to Chatterbox Video Game Radio, where Alon will no longer interrupt Ara with with thing, was that really was that were you, were you gifting that to me um sure i was was i supposed to interrupt you um do, do you remember what i was just talking about 10 seconds ago during the break i have uh, to point this out no i've erased my memory banks they're clear now okay so, I so talk about other things i as we as we do the show i write like the notes of what what we do in the show so i can you know wrap it up at the end of the night and write the description for it and i was trying to decide are we switching to bi-monthly or bi-weekly? What is oh, the definition? That's a, see, that was so traumatic for me just because um, just, just because of the sheer lack of precision that um, I was beset by. Yeah, so let me explain to the listeners what, what you mean by that. So if you go look up the definition of, for instance, bi-weekly or perhaps bi-monthly – both Google and Merriam-Webster, which are probably the same, you know, data set, uh, will tell you that it means happening twice in that period or once every two of those periods. So our show, by going every other week, has become both bi-weekly and bi-monthly um, at the same time. So that's cool to me, uh, but not to you at all. It kind, it kind of breaks my brain. And upsets yeah. me. Well, I'm I'm actually experiencing a tremendous amount of anxiety right now because <sighs> Merriam-Webster can't make up its mind. Yeah. And neither can All anyone right. else apparently. But you were talking about Watch Dogs. 
Yeah, so here's let me tell you something a little funny about Watch Dogs. I haven't actually even played the game, um, but there's this one aspect about it that's kind of unique. That uh, when it came out, it gotten it some. I guess it got it some press. Um, there were a couple of funny stories about what you do in this game is among among various other things. the The main thing that I want to talk about is you can. You basically have some way to hack somebody's stuff, right? And so there's an interface when you're just walking around in the the city world of that game. When you see strangers on the street and stuff, there's this thing in the game called the profiler. And it gives you information about whatever character is roaming around, right? And the cool thing about this is that it's kind of like tantamount to, like... If you were playing Grand Theft Auto and any random person on the street you walked up to, you could find out some information about them. And this is kind of telling, especially these days, when we're all uh, super aware and also super uh, not caring about our own privacy these days. So... The real interesting part of this is it's not just that when you use this profiler thing and you look at... uh, you know, what people's stats are, these strangers on the street, you know, not just that, like, you know, you know what their name is and what their age is and, you know, maybe sometimes how much they make and what kind of job they have, but also this profiler thing tells you this random factoid about that person and it's usually something about their character. Um, so it could be like, you know, it could tell you about what, you know, their one of their hobbies are, or maybe some kind of perverse, uh, you know, sexual interest, um, or anything else like that. So the part that's funny to me is that none of this actually seems like um, it has any narrative or coherent value in terms of continuity in whatever's happening in the story of the game. But at the same time, right, now this game is telling you, for example, that uh, let's say, you know, this guy who is walking past you on the street is like a millionaire banker uh, who maybe likes, I don't know, like balloon fetish or something like that. Or you might meet another person who is, you know, maybe they're almost destitute and they're broke, right? And so suddenly what this does is even though they're random things that actually don't mean anything, it tells you something about – it tells you enough to give you like a kind of emotional reaction to whether you want to uh, jack that person up and steal their things or not and how justified you feel in doing so. Get it? You mean like if it tells me that this guy's kind of a douche? Well, yeah. So in other words, right. It's like you can – right? Some strangers are more obviously douchey than others. So you can – in other words, right? Like they're all pretty much the same. It's just this one little string that's different and yet that one little string of text is enough for you to feel good about taking advantage of someone because, you know, let's say you know – He's a burglar or something, right? So you can feel good about burgling him. Or you know that, you know, okay, this is like a moral person who maybe shares some values that you have. So you don't want to steal something from that person. And I just find it so interesting that such a small amount of data can actually impart such a huge amount of emotional reaction and attitude, too, towards something in the game. Yeah, I can see that. But I also wonder, like, so I don't, not having played the game, I don't know what the incentive is to to mess with people. Like, if you have the potential of uh, really in, increasing your your abilities in the game or, like, let's say you're stealing money or whatever from these people. Yeah, well, I think can like you, can, you, you can way. steal, you can take some resources. You can pickpocket people. Basically. Okay, so basically, like, resources from them. if the idea is that... Uh, it is to my advantage to steal from people and there are a lot of people I could access and I could find some that it, I could feel good about versus others that I wouldn't. Or if let's say there were very few people for me to steal from, 
um, and I wouldn't be able to pick and choose because of that scarcity. Or, or maybe you find yourself not even uh, looking to pickpocket anyone, right? But then this profiler tells you something about somebody that's so offensive to you that uh, you just want to beat the crap out of them. Uh, yeah, that's a more realistic scenario to me. Okay, I see that one. But I was thinking like if if they don't give me enough option or enough um, ability to make that choice, then I would probably make – I would do it anyway dismissing that that text, right? I wouldn't care if they're a good person or not because I need to rob someone to progress in the game um, rather than limiting myself and say, oh, I'm not, I'm just not going to do that. And maybe other people would be different. I don't know. Uh, yeah, but I think it's... How, how they present that uh, resource of, you know, people you could steal from would also affect it. Not, not just the blurb there, which I know you weren't suggesting it was just the blurb, but um, more than just that factor, I think would affect it. Yeah, maybe. I, I I find it also interesting because here's the funny part. It's um, you know, so we've already established that this phrase uh isn't actually uh telling you anything. It's like a random string that's generated um when you know it's generating whatever random character it wants to. And yeah. the thing is, is that it's. Doing stuff in this way, it's kind of like it's it's touchy ground design-wise because on the one hand, you get a lot of bang for your buck because just like I said, right? I mean, you just have this one sentence to impart a lot of emotion by and have the player react very strongly one way or another by it. But at the same time, since it's not actually meaningful – it's like it's actually intellectually dishonest as a designer. It's kind of like I remember I, I read this other article that's related to this. Where I remember Tech Mobile. Uh, I I do a little bit. Actually, I mean, I it doesn't matter it. what sports game we're talking about. Just think about a random sports game. Uh, okay. I remember this one guy was blogging about how uh, as a kid he would play some sports game and he had no knowledge of stats and how you know, the underlying stats are actually affecting the outcomes and it's a statistical, you know, mathematical evaluation that's happening every time. And so what he would do is he would just put in his favorite characters uh, and, you know, I mean characters. They, would, they had the real names of whatever sport he was into. Um, so he would put in the people that he liked the most in real life, but these people didn't have the best stats. And he got a lot of value out of the game a tremendous amount, actually, uh, simply imagining that his favorite people would have, you know, all of the attributes that his favorite people in the real sport would have, even though not only was that not true at all, right, of course, but also they weren't anywhere near statistically as good as, you know, he thought they were. And so when this guy was writing this blog post, he was kind of like, you know, uh, I guess he was, I guess he was exhorting people or developers to not lose that element of imagination, you know, but the, the unfortunate part, I think it was conflating a few things together was that, that, that imagination was actually coming from uh, a deception actually when it comes down to it. Right. Because uh, on like, whose part? Well, it was not – I don't think anyone – I mean it was actually a deception on the player's part, right? Because he deceived himself into thinking that there was a lot more to the essence of this character's behavior than there really was, you know? So it was it was all him, which is kind of funny. That's why I mean he was conflating a few things together. But um, yeah, it's kind of it's – a, it's a dishonest thing that um, is – is weird to talk about because you don't normally it doesn't seem as as bad as most uh misleading things you could do as a designer because it's kind of like that aspect of watchdogs is uh sequestered in this kind of like optional uh you know it's like the thing that you could it's 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 uh analogous to the th to just jacking around with people in, in GTA. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty passive. That are not actually part. So, so it actually doesn't affect the game one way or the other. And it's entertaining enough, you know, and the emotional content's very high. It's, it's just not honest. So 
I'm a bit ambivalent about it, is what I'm saying. Okay. But I understand why it's interesting to you. Um, the psychology, the gaming, and all that. I bet I would want to beat up bad people and not beat up the people who are supposedly good. Yeah. Anyway, break time. So we're going to break. Be right back. To me, Mario, you're listening to Chatterbox Video Game Radio. It's a number one. Woohoo! All right, we're back, everybody. Thank you for getting through that break with us. It feels so, so good. Remember, of course, we have a Facebook page. It's Chatterbox Video Game Radio. We also have a website, chatterboxgameshow.com. Communicate with us there. Tell us how much you love having the show every week, even though we won't do the show every week right now. Um, there was one one little thing I got before we can go into uh, bigger topics. Um, I ran across this mention of the Nintendo Game Seminar. Had you heard of this before? Seminar? Uh, most certainly not. I guess that's what it's called, right? So I've talked that's in the past. A, that's a way to get people really excited is call something a seminar. Yeah, the word seminar does not does not excite most people. But um, you know that I did a Nintendo like camp programming thing when I was like 22. I, I know I've talked about that before. Um, obviously, it was different given that it was like 13 years ago. That's the one where they keep all uh, the rights to everything you make and you sign your uh, soul to them, right? I mean, I don't remember doing that, but I'm sure that's the case. Um, so we, my friend and I did that and it was cool. And it was at uh, Nintendo of America up in, uh, in Bellevue. And I guess they also do this much bigger thing where groups of students make games over a much longer period of time, like several months, eight months or something. Um, and I don't, I don't know the formalities of it. I don't know exactly how it works. What's important to know here is that in Japan, uh, the four games created by these teams, um, these teams of people, are actually available for free on the Wii U. And I think that's really awesome. Unfortunately, it's only in Japan. So uh, so I won't be able to download those games unless they make a change or whatever. But I love that idea that you can be a student making games in some sort of seminar-ish environment, even if it's over a course of a you know a relatively long time versus what I did, which was only two weeks. But then your game is, is like actually available for realsies. Like the game I made just exists exists on like some diskettes or USB drive or something somewhere. Um, and then my my friend and, and co-producer on the game recreated it like for the PSP or something years ago. Um, but it's just in our heads. And like this is, I don't know about forever, but it's available it's for anyone to see. And that, I don't know, I would love to do something like that. And uh, I think Nintendo is pretty awesome for encouraging that sort of thing. And how uh, do people get it? Just They just download it to their Wii U or something? Yeah, you just go on the eShop. Nobody listening to this show will get it because I assume we have no um, local Japanese listeners. But if we do, then you can surely go, go grab it. Um, this reminds there's... me of the XNA thing that Microsoft did some years ago. Remember that? Yeah, I mean, nowadays people can just make a game and put it on there. On whether it's you know the Xbox stuff or or PlayStation, they they all seem to allow this sort of thing. Um, but Nintendo actually has like training camps and stuff. Yeah, and, well, remember, I never actually realized until very recently uh, how bad how badly orchestrated that XNA thing was by Microsoft. Didn't we talk about it on a previous show about just like how it had been completely fumbled and like basically didn't have anyone to run the show? Uh, yeah, that's not the aspect I'm getting at, though. The angle I'm getting at was that I, I recently found out that it's like uh, it was such a pain in the ass to simply get your – if you made a game using XNA, in order to get it so that other people other than you could play it, I it was there was like something crazy like you had to or they had to uh, like be part of that service and like pay like a hundred bucks – and it was like – it was basically there was a bunch of logistical rules set in place that would virtually ensure that nobody but you practically would be able to play the game you made even though on the face of it, it was all about being able to get 
to make a game for ostensible distribution. So I yeah, just but didn't that, that just turn into the Xbox Indie Games thing where anybody could put a game up there? Well, yeah, and then and and then Xbox Indie Games came along soon afterward, and that totally deprecated whatever they were doing with XNA. But yeah. that original XNA thing was. Um, I was listening to some independent developers talk about some of their uh, experiences, and that was part of their story. And it was a, it was the horrible part of their story. So yeah, well, I mean, it's growing pains, right? They they had a system that sucked, <laughs> well, and then they developed a better um, one. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> I mean, it's just kind of funny because it was like designed to like not accomplish anything that you would think it would want to accomplish. But that's uh, noted. Uh, the irony is that the better system they made was still kind of a crappy system, so they're still learning. But- yeah, you know what else I found out about the the indie game scene on Xbox anyway was that it it turned out because they had you have an option of pricing you know, you can price from like one dollar to five dollars, right? Mm-hmm. This is an XBLA. This is uh, indie games. Yeah. And it very quickly turned out that if you did not, regardless of what your game was completely irrespective of that if you did not price it at one dollar the minimum price uh everyone would downvote your game seriously all almost without exception yeah so what ended up happening was a very interesting dynamic over time which well the dynamic wasn't interesting but the outcome was interesting which was you pretty much had to just come in at the bottom price point, $1, or you had no chance of selling anything at all. I mean, so, funny I'm not surprised to hear that you wouldn't get any attention from the crowd, but to have the people who are voting actually – or no, you're saying just the the world, like they would downvote it because they were mad that it wasn't the cheapest price. Right. Yeah. Not, because Yeah. I mean like think about it, right? Like where is going to be like at least on that platform like the most amount of um, – I don't know, like socially inept, bored white kids uh, who the best thing they can think of to do with their time is to, you know, exact their agency upon the world by downvoting things that upset them. Yeah. Well, since they can't make it free, at least they have to pay for Well, no, there are games you can make free, too. So why don't they just downvote everything? Well, I'm sure a lot of people did that, too. Yeah. I'm sure you don't have to be white to uh, get those feelings either. Maybe am I wrong? Can you not make a game totally free on on Xbox, Xbox Live Indie Games? Uh, no, I don't think you can. I think it has to be uh one dollar or ninety nine cents. Okay, but you can play them all for free because they give you that time limit thing. It's been so long now since I've done that. Yeah, I think there's that. Yeah, I think okay. that's what it is. Something all right. Well, that like explains that. my own question. It's all either right. one or the other. Answers my own question. Great. Okay, good. So I'm ready to move on a little bit. I feel like I'm stretched. I've stretched my brain for a second. I don't know why. All right. Well, I've got more or you can pick up something. No, no, no. Go ahead. So there's this. Okay. So every once in a while we get, you know, one of those research studies that are being talked about, about this or that, about violence, right? Uh, but this time, there's something kind of a new spin. I've never seen this particular spin before on research results. And there's a bunch of researchers who did an experiment, and they're basically saying that, well, instead of the uh, normal stereotype that we think happens, which is if you play a game that has you doing bad things, you are somehow going to be... Uh, uh, have a greater susceptibility to engage in those uh, not-so-moral things in real life. Well, now this research is saying that actually behaving badly in games can lead to more moral behavior in real life. Okay, so explain that. How How could that be? I'm trying to – what they're basically saying, I think, uh, the gist is that let's say, you know, there's a – let's say you're you're not a terrorist, okay, and you're you're a moral American and you play a game where you're – I'll point out for one second that we have listeners all over the globe. Yeah. keep going. Yeah, you know. So – but this for purposes of this because, you know, there's only Americans and terrorists. Yeah. Well, that's true. Those are the only two categories. I mean it's one side or the other, of course. So, um, you know, if you're not a terrorist, you have to be American. 
Um, so suppose you are and you play a game um, where you play the role of a terrorist and it's very violent and you're doing um, un a lot of unjust things with the character that you're using because your character is a terrorist. Well, they're saying that the, the guilt that you experience uh, playing through that role actually encourages you to want to be more moral and not to do those things instead of the stereotypical effect. But, but you're talking about it, it makes you want to do that in real life. It basically – yeah. It basically comes down to guilt. Like you've played – like you've played a, for a certain while playing the role of a bad person and that makes you feel so much worse than um, maybe just reading or thinking about being a bad person that you want to do extra good things to make up for it. That seems to be the gist of it, I guess. What do you think about that? Um, I think that it wouldn't, wouldn't be true of a sociopath. Well, look, I mean, when you get into that type of thing, then that's not, I mean, th th these rules don't apply to those people. Yeah. Because I guess they, all, don't, they don't feel any empathy. So All psych exams would be that way, huh? Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I can, I can kind of see it. But the thing is that there's not such a clear line of good versus bad. So, like, I, I can tell you with certainty from real world experience that uh, driving around in driving some racing game, right? Like need for speed or something. Uh, let's say I'm playing, playing that game for an hour. Right. And then I drive off. So I'm over at your house playing that game. I drive home. I totally want to drive like a race car through the neighborhood. Well, yeah, I think, I think this research is not researching that effect that you just mentioned. Yeah. Well, I mean, that effect is saying I'm trying to recreate you know, what I did in the video game. But it's, the thing is, it's, in that case, it's almost just natural because I'm, I'm actually performing a similar motion. Yeah. Well, this is actually, it's a really good thing you're bringing up and maybe, maybe we'll go through, uh, through the break with this, but, um, because this is really interesting because what you're hinting at is something really important that is that it actually seems to really depend on what kind of activity and what kind of behavior in precise terms, we're talking about in terms of does doing it in a game give you the propensity to do it more or less or not one way more or the other, right? Yeah, because, I guess it depends what that action is. Yeah, so, so I want to elaborate a little more when we come back and use your driving example too. Okay, excellent. So we'll be we'll back. We'll be right back. Yeah, what he said. back yet again you are still listening to chatterbox video game radio and we were actually on a really interesting topic right before we left so we're gonna pick that right back up all right i'm just gonna hope my cat doesn't make enough noise to get into the mic so i was bringing up the fact that when i drive a fast car i want to drive a fast car in real life okay and then you were saying when i do bad things in a game i don't necessarily want to do bad things in real life yeah so let's let's break this down a little bit so the reason why when you play a racing game that immediately afterward you want to drive fast, I think, has to do with a certain kind of m momentum of activity or motion where, you know, it's, it's kind of like there, there's like there's a persistence effect to certain things you do. You know how like if you've been going uh, really fast for a while, like let's say you take a road trip and you go, you know, like 80 miles an hour the whole way. And then yeah. after a bunch of hours driving like that, uh, let's say you're driving on some surface streets at 35 miles an hour. That always feels really, 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 really slow. I'm, I'm agreeing with you. Right. Yes. Yeah. So like it's like remember that time that we got uh, – 
we got to um, your your buddy with the Veyron gave us rides. Yes. Uh, it is a, just to be clear, you got to ride in it. Yeah, you didn't, I did you not. Didn't, you didn't actually ride in it. Okay. Well, no. I mean, well, I, I just want you to remember that basically for the rest of time. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's it's kind of like that, um, but I guess we don't need to go into that example anyway. Um, I do remember you telling me how slow and crappy you felt your car was after being in his. Yeah, it pretty much felt like three, like my three hundred thirty-three horsepower car felt like the slowest car in the world. Um, there's actually a better example I think is um, like you know like, like like any any kind of like physical motion that you put yourself in has this kind of like persistence effect to it, and so the reason why you want to go really fast in real life after playing a driving game for a while is that that persistence has not been completely eradicated. You know, it takes an amount of time for that effect to go away and it's not it's not a conscious thing it's not a cognitive process it's just your body is accustomed to moving at a certain rate because you were you were playing something where your the stimulus that was put on you was having things uh you know of great contrast you know pass by you really fast which imparts a sensation of speed and so you want to kind of like keep that up your body, like it's it's not it's a totally unconscious part of you, and that's why it, there's a stickiness to it. That's why it has that persistence. On the other hand, um, doing something right, like let's compare this to the other kinds of things you do in games that are totally different, like um, you know, playing the role of a criminal in GTA. You know, so there's yeah. like so much narrative content there, and a lot of it is exposition in the narrative. That um, like now you're you're actually using like a lot of higher level cognitive processes to uh, just think about and engage in that type of behavior, and that's that's the category that I think that we'll all say pretty unequivocally is not something that makes you want to do it right afterward, you know, and yeah. it's it's not it's not it's, it's not even precise, like if it. If this kind of thing worked, right, if there's any truth to that sort of thing, then watching lots of movies about, um, like, money laundering, right, would make you want to specifically money launder instead of, like, do other kind of criminal things, right? And we just know that no matter how many movies or games we play about money laundering, it doesn't make us want to money launder any more than we already have a propensity for it. And I think the reason is because that type of, um, I don't know, mental processes, right? Like those are super conscious. They happen in a very conscious part of the brain and so it doesn't transfer. So this thing here, this research here kind of like puts it on its head a little bit, which is, well, now think about like, you know, in a game where you have to play a role of opposite of what you think is a moral role, like, you know, a terrorist versus being American, and it seems to me like what they're saying is that, you know, you – the emotional reaction to the content that you're doing, that has to be kind of compared to where you think you are personally as a, a moral or not moral person, right? And so if you think that, for example, the activity in the game that you're doing is really, really bad – uh, by your own moral compass, let's say being a terrorist, then I think it totally makes sense that you would kind of get the feeling like after doing that for a while that you'd want to like do a bunch of good things to make up for it because you've been doing bad things. Think there's anything actually that? want to do good things or just avoid doing the bad things? You've well, I mean, I guess it's all a matter of degrees. Um, I also remember this was kind of compared to, um, and I don't even know if this happens. So, Alan, you tell me if you think there's any sense in this. Um, I think it could be plausible. Like, apparently, there's a stereotype of uh, people who go to church and then to go eat afterward. Uh, yeah, like they're really Sunday. bad tippers. Yes, they're really bad tippers. And the theory goes that they're really bad tippers 
because they've, uh, you know, they've been in God's uh, assembly room for such a long time. And they're already full of good feelings about moralness that um, they they don't feel like they need to tip to feel good so they or to feel like uh, as moral as they feel so they don't. Which actually kind of t- says something about the currency of tipping in the first place. And I mean the um, emotional currency, not the physical currency. Yeah, I mean part of me thinks it's like, well, they just gave it church, right? Yeah, yeah. Like I've, I've done enough goodness. Yeah, and I mean that's – I mean look, if you – if you, I, I mean I think that can totally happen because if you meet a bum on the street one day and let's say you actually buy their story and you feel really bad for them and you give them $10, right? It's a pretty good chance you're not going to be giving anybody else $10 that day. Yeah, I agree. Even if they deserve it. <laughs> so – what this kind of leads me to think is that, you know what, it kind of seems like games have far less of a an emotional behavioral effect on people in terms of moral things than we think because it really seems like people actually act according to a certain kind of like homeostasis of morals according to their own value system. Are you trying to say that, like, maybe this is a theory I was just having while you were talking. Like, yeah. it doesn't matter if you're doing something in a game or in real life, you will ingest that action and then react accordingly. Yeah. Right? So well, like, what a, yeah. if I spent time doing bad things, I might say, oh, I need to not do bad things anymore, whether or not it was in the game. Yeah, or do good things to make up for it, you know, or. I mean, the, well, the converse of this, the implication might be that if you do a bunch of really good things in a game, that you might have a greater proclivity to now do some, you know, kind of nasty, inconsiderate things in real life because, you know, the whole church effect thing. So that's kind of funny. But what, what I'm, I guess what I'm getting at is that maybe there's a, there's like a set level of how many good versus bad things you do to people in life that you are comfortable with. And you kind of act to seek a certain static level of that according to your experiences over time. Okay. I don't think we're going to be able to determine if that's true or not, but it'd be a great test to put. Well, I'm just – We just, should write it up. I just want to – well, I'm not going to be doing any tests. Uh, <laughs> I have enough experiments in my life. But I was just curious if you think that's even plausible. I mean do you think we're onto something here or do you think – yeah, a little bit. I think it it uh, I'll and maybe I'm stepping too far, but like I I think what's important to think about here is how you relate to a virtual experience and how your brain, the word I used earlier was ingests, how your brain ingests that that experience um and so like you understand what mirror neurons are? Yeah. They mirror um, things. So so for those who don't know, and different people experience this to different degrees. My wife is an example of someone who experiences this to a great degree. Um, let's say you're watching a movie. Yeah. Well, well I'm going to say something really sexist. Uh, it appears to be many more women are uh, susceptible to this than men. Yeah, probably. I mean, they're more emotional creatures in general. But the idea is mirror neurons are like, you've got stuff going on in your brain so that when you see something happen, um, even if you're not the one experiencing it, your brain... Uh, interprets it as if you experienced it anyway. Um, yeah, and... like I think the best example is if you see because if you see people's expressions, you get the you actually feel the feeling of the expression of what's on someone's face, whether it's actually even uh, genuine or not. Yeah, and like when you're watching someone who's uh, afraid in a movie, so like my wife can't watch horror or suspense movies because she gets really freaked out by it. This is whole thing where like I want to watch World War Z on Netflix and I can't because like she doesn't want to watch it. Um, and then I went and I watched this movie where a baby got shot like and totally killed at point blank range and she's pregnant. She did not like that. We had to turn it off real fast. Um, anyway, so like if you're playing a game and you're interpreting this, not consciously, but your brain might be interpreting this experience, at least some part of it, as really happening, then maybe the the contrary effects later on 
are, you know, would act in real life. Or it could even be, I mean, you, if you're bad in video game A, and then you go play a different game that also has the opportunity for you to be bad or good, maybe you change styles to compensate for it. I I actually doubt that, but um, I mean, I, I'm just saying your, your body may interpret the game um, in the same way that we interpret other things that we, we see. Uh, I think yawning might also be connected to this since yawning is kind of contagious, yawning, but I don't think yeah, anyone's maybe. proved that. Um, but you know what I'm saying, right? So like if I see something happen to the game, maybe part of my brain interprets it as happening to me in real life. Yeah, you, um, there, there's one more angle here that you uh, hit on, and that is that um, you were alluding to whatever you do in a game, if there's no emotional, moral content in what you're doing – as perceived by you, then there isn't. And I think this is where the disconnect also happens for a lot of people who think that violent games make you violent, right? In other words, what, what outsiders think is a violent thing in a game that you're doing, uh, you actually as a player, is, it's, it's, it's abstract to you. So it's not violent. So you don't, you don't interpret it as violence. You mean if – if you don't, because I still interpret violent games as violent when don't. I'm playing them. Well, yeah, if you don't. Yeah. You think Street Fighter is violent? Um, I don't treat it that way. But when I'm playing Grand Theft Auto, I'm yeah. like, wow, well, this is pretty violent. That's what I'm violent. saying. Different, different strokes for different folks, right? But Street Fighter to an outsider is violent. But you play Street Fighter, uh, yeah, for lack of a better word, schematically. You know, It's abstract to you because you're playing it according to the rule of the game. Yeah. So, no, I see what you're saying. So it's not violent for you, so it cannot have that violent effect on you one way or the other. Yeah, it doesn't make me want to go fight people. Yeah. It just makes me want to kick their ass in Street Fighter. Well, yeah. you can do that too. All right, well, we're at the end of the show again, so thank you everyone for listening. Um, feel free to let us know what you think about uh, about the changes we're making and about how the show went and other stuff you want us to talk about. Um, thanks once again a million times to everybody who did respond to talk about how much they love the show. We always love hearing that. Um, even from people who in the past have argued with us. I don't know if you noticed that, Ara, but when you do go look, we'll see. Even people who argue and argue with us on Facebook tell us how much they love us. And maybe it's because we do take the time to sensibly argue. So... Anyway, um, it's awesome. We love you guys. And um, we will be back sometime in July, hopefully in two weeks. But if babies happen, then maybe that'll change. And uh, you won't really get much warning, except maybe I'll put it on the Facebook page. Um, Yeah, but we'll be back with certainty sometime soon-ish. Until next time, whenever that is. All right. Good night, everybody. You've been listening to Chatterbox Video Game Radio. Tune in next week for more tips and info and the latest and greatest in video gaming. And remember, all your base are belong to us.